Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Mike Freeman. Enjoy. Good morning. I'm, I'm making my way. Just hang on a second, will you? Get in there. I'm a dad too, five times over, live to tell the tale. I've been through the teenage years five times. And I've just decided today I'm not going to be in a rush. This is my Father's Day present. This is Julius Caesar, pencil holder. Thank you, Rihanna. I, I don't know if that's a wish or if it's more just what is. I think it's just more what is. You don't need to wish for it. I'll just put there as a reminder. There we go. Oh, and I did notice also here, I don't... Sorry. Hang on. I'm not rushing. I need to get reclipped right above Jesus. There we go. No, I just noticed, is this official if we don't have a flame? So it's one of the things I carry. Some of you might ask, why is he wearing an apron? And it's because I think aprons are cool. They give me pockets. It's like my pastor utility belt. And you never know when you might need matches. As James says, what is your life? It is but a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And with that encouraging thought, let us commence. Just full disclosure, this here is water. This here is the rest of what I might call my breakfast, which is green smoothie. It's good. It actually took me, oh, let's see, probably took me about four months where the gag reflex stopped. And that's when half of it was fruit. Um, yeah, you know, Luane, God bless her. Um, and that's not sarcastic, God bless her. Um, uh, she, she got us on this when I was going through, through chemo uh, back in 2012, and we stayed on it ever since. Um, oh, and by the way, I'm in bare feet because it's the way I can be right now without limping. It's just, I tried two pairs of shoes today and they just weren't working on these feet. So this works. I'm not in pain at the moment, which is, well, mostly, okay. But in that specific pain. But anyway, Lorraine got us to start, got us start on this when I was going through the chemo in, in 2012. We maintained it ever since. She slowly excised the fruit until it was just half of an apple is what we're at at this point. Everything else, I mean, it's kale, it's broccoli, it's cilantro, it's... It's cucumber, and I mean, it's just everything green and luscious. Yes! So there we go. Okay. 
Okay, so a couple of things. This is really wobbly. Somehow that's appropriate. Okay. A couple of things we want to do. Um, you know, first off, and I don't have my computer because it would just probably die on me anyway, and I thought, okay, I'll just bring a Bible um, and, and a book, and I think I have in here, and I'm just praying, which we'll do again here in a minute, just praying, okay, God help me to stay on track, which so far has not been happening. Um, but uh, I do have a couple of things. There's theoretically a slide that's, that says open table, and it, it, might, it might appear. There it is, okay. Um, I was teaching a class called Simply Christian, and it just, that kind of flowed out of another class and paused with this class, and I just realized, you know, I just want an open table every Sunday morning, and that hour before service, 8.45, 9.45-ish, um, and I'm in there, and there's kind of a core of people who, for the most part, are there, and we just talk about whatever. We just don't have a curriculum, and we are highly interruptible by whomever. Coming once doesn't commit you to coming ever again. In fact, you can come in and decide, oh, I'm out of here, I am so out of here, and we will just bless you as you depart. Uh, but we, we tackle all kinds of questions wherever, wherever God seems to be taking us, and I think, ooh, there's this book. And this morning, we got marvelously interrupted. Rihanna brought in uh, Jeanette. I don't want to embarrass you, Jeanette, but you know, Jeanette came in because she was looking for something that would take her through Bible customs, Bible background. And so Rihanna and I, we, we just started scouring the shelves because it's in room six, which is a library over here, to um, find, and, and we looked through different things with Jeanette, and I just told the four sitting around the table beside me, um, just, hey, don't make this weird. Just carry on among yourselves. And, and, and that's kind of what Open Table is. It's open to whoever comes, and it's open to whatever you want to bring. Um, and, and so it's not really a life group. I, 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 that's probably too much. But hopefully there's a lot of, it's a group that varies, and hopefully there's life. So life group. Okay, anyway. Um, so, so there's that. Now, the other thing is that today is not only... Father's Day, but it's also a day which may not be familiar to, to a lot of us, may be familiar to us, but it might have a degree of controversy about it. Just try to hang on through this and, and through the prayer and go on to the lesson, because I think there might be some good things. But the day is, is called Juneteenth. Um, it's a celebration of the end of slavery. Uh, and it goes back to July, sorry, June 19th, 1865 when federal officers showed up in Galveston, Texas, and informed those who were still functioning as slaves in Galveston that they were, in fact, thenceforward and forever free. Emancipation Proclamation had been issued two years previous. 13th Amendment outlawing slavery had been, well, at least passed in, in the House, and I believe in the Senate anyway, but it, it wasn't fully ratified until six months afterwards. But it's such a beautiful reminder of the fact that we can proclaim emancipation, we can proclaim freedom, but the gap between proclamation and realization, actualization, uh, can be quite huge. What's interesting is that part of what was read to the slaves in Galveston was they were encouraged to stay where they were and make a new life, and now they would just be paid for their work, um, but most of them, of course, scattered across the South looking for family. Um, so... I wrote a prayer, um, and so let's just pray, and, and that'll take us into our, our lesson proper this morning, so if you want to pray with me for a moment. Lord, it was in the synagogue in your hometown where you proclaimed the words, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. 
to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of God's favor. And then you sat down, rolled up the scroll, and said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Fulfill it again in our hearing, in our time, in our place. Even as injustice has at times been far too present and far too baked into our systems and institutions and story, so let freedom and mercy that triumphs over judgment for every human being, every divine image bearer, permeate the very fabric of our life together as we avoid the extremes of either whitewashing commendation of our past and present or white-bashing condemnation. And as Lincoln stated so eloquently while honoring the dead at Gettysburg nearly eight score years ago, let there be a new birth of freedom. And let us be agents and instigators of that freedom, that the reality announced by Paul nearly 2,000 years ago may become reality increasingly so among us in our time and in our place. That here there is no Greek or Jew, here there is no slave or free, here there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. For it is in your name that we pray. Amen. So, all right. And Lord, bless this man. You know what I think of preaching as, personally for myself? One of these marvelous stories in Scripture. Uh, you know, the devotions coming up this week, didn't know for sure what I was writing for, but we're going to have lots of stories, I think, being told to Church in the Field next week. Every Heart Matters, right? Isn't that the ministry that's coming? They're going to tell stories from the field, from their adventures. Because where there is spirit, and we've been talking about spirit the last three weeks here, uh, well, this will be the third week, all right? So, okay, anyway, last two weeks, this week continues the conversation a bit. Um, but where there is spirit, which is wind, breath, all right? Where there is ruach, that's the, that's the Hebrew word, um, there is movement. And where there is movement, there are stories. And so I wrote devotions this week, had a lot of fun with them. I don't know if you will or not, but I had a lot of fun writing them because I just called it Strange Things. was really tempted all week to rip off Stranger Things, because that also really applies. On so many levels, that applies. But um, yeah, strange things. Find myself just pulling out stories from Elisha, mostly. A couple of quirky ones from Jesus. Well, one quirky one from Jesus in, in particular. But, um, but it's, um, it's stories. We're talking about the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's work among us. And one of those quirky stories, I didn't tell this week, but I will tell now, um, uh, it's a story of, it's really a weird story. It's a very strange, nay, stranger thing. Because you have a pagan prophet, we would call him a wizard, all right, Balaam. All right, he's like, he's like an oracle people go to and consult. Most of us would say, this guy's demonic. And yet God talks to him. Oh, imagine that, God talking outside the bounds of what our expectations are. But he talks to Balaam, and he says, Balaam, Somebody's coming to hire you to prophesy and say words over my people Israel, and I don't want you to take the job. And they come, offer lots of money. Oh, sorry, I can't do it. I can only do what the Lord says. And they say, oh, are you sure? And they try to sweeten the pot. And he says, okay, let me talk to God one more time. All right? And so he says, God, can I go? Please. Just this once, can I go? And God says, okay, but just speak what I want you to speak. Now, if you know the story, Balaam saddles 
Okay, I was going to say saddle is his ass, but I'll say saddles his donkey since this is Sunday morning. And he saddles it. And, and so there, you know the story at this point, right? And so he's going down the road and then suddenly his donkey is lurching this way and that and crushing his leg against a wall and then finally just lays down on the road and now he's beating the donkey, right? And then the donkey brays and says, why are you beating me? All these years, have ever done anything like this before? So think. And then his eyes are opened, and he sees, well, there's an angel of God that was ready to kill him. Oh, strange things. I like to think of myself in preaching as, I, I pray not for high eloquence. I just pray for helpful braying that may, in fact, serve a purpose. Not that you're all wizards or pagan prophets. But may God stop us in our tracks. May he arrest us. And, um, and if there is something provocative this morning in here for you, again, donkey. And then also, maybe there's a reason. Maybe there's something in there. So just, um, just, just give it a listen. But I won't rule out the donkey factor. Okay, so we're, we're talking about the spirit and ministry in the spirit. And just uh, some full disclosure. Okay, hang on. Full disclosure, I spent the first 17 years of my public ministry life in a, um, in, in a, well, I was in a Church of Christ setting, if you're familiar with Church of Christ. Love the Church of Christ, gave me intense love for Scripture that led me to read the Bible like a fanatic and to memorize the letters of the New Testament. And through it all, I was introduced to family that loved you as you were. Come as you are, you'll be loved. It wasn't on a bumper sticker, but it was in the very fabric of their life. And I met Jesus there. So I love the Church of Christ. It's just Holy Spirit ministry and actual acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit. Eh, not so much. And the one I actually stepped out into ministering in three different pulpits, the last one being here in uh, moving up here in May of 89, the same month that 13 families, I think it was 13 families, should be 12, that would be like the perfect number, but I think it was like 13 from Lancaster coming up here to start this vineyard. Um, we moved up the same month and it was for a Church of Christ that was on Maple Grove, just the other side of Overland. If you drive that way, you'll see the Jewish, um, the Chabad Center. That's my old church building. And it just delights me, actually, that it's a Chabad Center. It just delights me. It's wow. Wow. Okay. Um, but no concept of the Holy Spirit. No inviting of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it wasn't even Father, Son, and, and, and Holy... <coughs> Um, on a practical level, it was Father, Son, and Holy Scripture. And that's just the truth of it on a practical level as I experienced it. Um, and so I spent years debunking, not, not the vineyard by name. You guys weren't on my radar. Um, but just charismatic, you know, just pulling out stuff, kind of like Hank Hanegraaff and others who just love to pull out the weird, the obtuse, and the abuse and just paraded a sea, nothing to this, it's all just sham and show and so forth. So I did lots of those kinds of sermons, probably blasphemed against the Holy Spirit significantly, I would imagine. Um, but then I was also waking up. Um, I had my own grace awakening. Uh, read a book by, oh, what's his name? Chuck Swindoll, The Grace Awakening. Huh? And, and he was saying things that were putting words to what I was experiencing, because I was feeling like I'm in a closet in the dark, in the midst of a grand cathedral. 
where worship and life is happening. And I was just increasingly wanting to open the door. And yes, quite literally, in this case, stepping out of the closet. And then I, somebody gave me a book by Jack Deere called Surprised by the Power of the Spirit. And again, it was just like words. And, and John Wimber specifically mentioned in, in Jack Deere's book. And, and Jack speaks to an evangelical because he just goes through scripture, ultimately, mixture of experience in scripture, but just shows how you can't confine the miraculous working of God to three separate ages that are all past. You know, you've got Moses and Joshua, so it happens there. You've got Elijah and Elisha, so it happens there. And you've got Jesus and the apostles, and it happens there. And that's it until Jesus comes again. And now we have the book as a result. We study the book. And, and, and in that sense, we have the spirit because the book is in us. The spirit is in us. Um, so a lot of letter and not a whole lot of life. But yeah, Jack, Jack Deere's put words to it and came to a point where I was just honestly asked to leave because they said they couldn't follow where I was going, which I asked them then, can you tell me where I'm going then? Because I honestly don't know either. <laughs> I'm trying to figure this out as I go. And I remember there was another Church of Christ pastor in Caldwell at the time who said, Mike, you, you know, you got to make a decision. Are you going to live out this change in public? In essence, in the pulpit, bring your questions into the pulpit, or are you going to preach one thing and have your thoughts privately on another thing? And I said, I don't know how I can do that. We say we speak where the Bible speaks, so I'm just going to do that. I'm going to take us at our word, and I'm just going to do that. And so I started exposing just a lot of what I saw, and I wasn't very kind in it. I was a young man still. I was just 30, just a young fool who thought he knew things. I hadn't gone through a single teenager yet. <laughs> hadn't journeyed through one of my kids having cancer. Hadn't journeyed through, can journeyed through cancer myself. Hadn't had a heart attack. I mean, there's so much of life that has had to happen. It brings me to a point where I can just talk with you folks and, and hopefully have it where it's, where it's helpful and really have no ax to grind. Um, so, but that's where I've come from. And yet we showed up here in 97, really afraid because when we're invited by former Church of Christ members who were down here, Rick and Diane Robertson, who actually originally, they're the ones who broke ground on that garden out there years ago. It was moved like three times. Diane just patiently going through the work of redigging in the next place she was told to dig. Um, they invited us up here because we tried to start a food pantry forever, but there was no room for it. Because where there is spirit, there is movement. And a lot of us aren't interested in movement. We're interested more in monument than we are in movement. But, but Rick said, all right, Michael and Wayne, I've heard you guys have stepped out. Okay, come up here to the vineyard. Okay, now this will shock you. This will totally shock you. He said, the music is loud. <laughs> and I can hardly stand it. But they feed the poor. And I said, wow. Okay, we're coming. Did some research on the vineyard and thought, I don't know what we're coming to. I had no idea what we're stepping into because we were reading about Toronto and the Toronto blessing and people were barking like dogs and, 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 and screaming like lions and laughing hysterically. And we thought, okay, we're bringing our five kids into I don't know what. But we didn't step out to just step back into something that is what we've always been doing. I didn't want something revamped. Let's just add a guitar.
guitar and a drum kit and call it good. And so, but, so we stepped in. At that point, this room was about two-thirds of the size, and it was all tables, you know, bistro tables and chairs, and the coffee bar was over in there because none of that existed. That was like a playground with tall trees, which we killed, cut down. Ooh, this is good, wobbly. But it was over here, and they were selling Costco muffins. And sunny delight. We could not pry our kids out of here then. This became the muffin church. On the spot, it became the muffin church. Costco muffins and sunny delight. That's all it takes to convert them, people. But we stayed, and we ended up praying with people down the hall. You know, down this office hall, you go to the far side here and you see the hall going down past that auditorium. That's where we would sit in pairs with people and pray with them because the pantry was what is now my office. It's the office with a window and a sink that I've finally graduated into. I like to think I've retired into it. Although I don't get much rest. Oh, I do get rest. Listen to me, wine. But that was the food pantry and we could feed the poor. And was like, you know, I can deal with whatever weirdness might happen here because, by God, we're feeding the poor. And I get to sit with poor people of Garden City and I get to hear their stories and carry food out into their car. And I'm thinking, how much do I have to pay you to do this? You know, to these people here, to try and company, who was the founding pastor. And so we just played everywhere here because we invite divine winds. We, we, we invite the breath of God. It's not about the vineyard movements. It's about the kingdom of God that transcends all movements. It is the ultimate movement. And that's what we want to tap into. And as long as we're sold out to that, we're going to be feeding the poor and we're going to have things like Celebrate Recovery and we're going to have these wild-eyed artists doing these things and dancers like Liz Dunstan going crazy. So that's just a little bit about me. And it might sound like I'm just killing time. I've managed to kill at least 15 minutes. I technically have not even gotten to my lesson yet. Does that scare you? Are you frightened? <laughs> like Yoda, I say, you will be. <laughs> now, now, okay, this is what I've got. This is what I've got. So, because um, I hadn't planned to go there actually, but there I went. This is what I've got. I've been meditating on, uh, on Scripture, uh, a, a specific passage of Scripture, um, and, and, and kind of took the liberty to reassemble it just a little bit because I wanted it to flow. Because last week I didn't make it in here, and, and so I took Brent with me on one of my morning walks on Tuesday. Actually, I took Brent with me, took him in my ears, and listened to the talk, and Brent said, memorize Scripture. You should try it. And I thought, yes. I should try that. I'm going to try that. And so, and so I've been memorizing this text. And I don't, honestly don't know because this is one of the more challenging texts. 2 Corinthians. Oh, I just spoiled it. I was going to ask you to see if you recognize where it came from. Um, but 2 Corinthians is a challenging letter because it's filled with emotion. And it's like Paul gets a little bit of John in him or something because there's just a lot of, of circular you know, re repetition of phrases. And, and so there's so many places you can, you can miss it. But I want you to hear this text is what I want. And I'm not going to, you know, I, oh gosh, I thought about getting up here. Let's see if this is any better. 
Okay, all right, okay, all right. I'll, I'll take the woo. I'll take the woo. Uh, and, and let me, as a, okay, I won't as a backup have it ready on my phone. I'll just go to my phone and unlock it if I need it. So I want you, I just, I want you to hear and absorb this, and then we're going to talk about one little portion of it, okay? I'm not going to exegete a text. There's too much text here to exegete. But there is one little portion that I want to take out and just try to demonstrate and elaborate on just a little bit, okay? All right, and, and just to give you background for this, Paul's going to start off saying, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. And that is the background. Just look it up, Google it. That's the Roman triumph. The Roman triumph is what you did whenever you slaughtered another nation and subjugated them. And then you brought, you brought the best of their botany. You, you, you brought their, their floral. So you had all these elaborate floral displays of the conquered territories. Look at what we have plucked and what we've harvested. And so the street would be filled with the fragrance of home for those bringing up the end of the procession, which would be all the slaves who can smell home, and yet now it's not the smell of life anymore. Now it's the smell of death because they're all heading to their death because the end of the parade is always executions, beheadings, and death by animals or by combat in the arena. It was a great spectacle. There were 320 triumphal processions by the time Jesus was born. So it's a bit jarring and incongruent for Paul to talk about how God is always leading us in a triumphal procession in Christ. And what you have to understand, he's not saying, that's where this movement is going. We're going to have parades like this that'll put Soviet parades to shame. Oh, just wait till you see our glory on display. No, it's actually irony. Uh, as, as you'll see, well, you can go to 1 Corinthians 4 because that's the same reference he talks about, where are we in this triumphal procession? Oh, we're the slaves at the end of the procession doomed to death. God has set forth us, the apostles in particular, at the end of the procession, a spectacle to the world and to men, the off-scouring of all things. All right, so that's where he saw there's an irony in this, just like there's an irony in Paul talking about the take up the full armor of God. All right, he's not championing imperial power. There's irony in this, and it's inversion, turning the thing on its head. Um, he says, read closely, just catch the irony. It's all turned upside down, ultimately. Okay, but anyway, that's the background for this. So Paul starts, and let's see if I can do this. Thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him for we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are saved and those who are perishing to the one we are the stench of death to the other the sweet fragrance of life and who is equal to such a task as this good thing we're not like so many who peddle the word of God for profit no on the contrary in Christ, before God, we speak with sincerity like men on a mission from God. And so, are we beginning to commend ourselves again to you? Or like others, do we need letters of recommendation either to you or from you? 
You are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are, you are, you are the epistle of Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on fleshy tablets of human hearts. Ah, such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves, No, our competency, our sufficiency, our enoughness, our muchiness comes from God who has made us competent and sufficient and muchy enough as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, behold as in a mirror, behold as in a mirror, behold as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, and are thus being transformed, metamorphosized into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, from glory to glory to glory to glory, which all comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so therefore, since through God's mercy we have received this ministry, we do not lose hearts. But we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every human being's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's only veiled to those who are perishing and can't see it yet. The God of this age has blinded the minds of those who cannot see, those who are perishing, lest they should see the light of the gospel or the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves, your slaves, through Jesus. For God, who said, ye, he, or, let there be light, and so commanded light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, clay pots, fragile, breakable, crackable, smashable, so that the excellency of the power may be of God, and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry about in our bodies the dying of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may be put on display in this mortal flesh. And so we who are alive are constantly being handed over to death for Jesus' sake. And so death is at work in us and life in you. And so no, we don't lose heart. Even though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary crushings are accomplishing in us an eternal weight of glory that far surpasses them all. And so we don't look at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen. 
For the things that are seen, ah, they're temporary, ephemeral, fleeting, in flux. But the things which are not seen, ah, this is what stays and stands and is eternal. And this is God's word. Okay. So that... I just demonstrated the Holy Spirit gifting of the parrot. Okay? Some of you are so mightily impressed that someone can do this. All right. Memorization. Okay, this is my brief bit on memorization here. Memorization. See, it's not that some people can do it and others can't. I just don't have a brain that can memorize. Um, Well, you might be amazed what you do know. It's all how you use your brain. It's all how you learn to use your memory. But the fact is... um, um, Oh, let's see. Repetitio est mater memoriae. Repetition is the mother of memory. You repeat something a thousand times, eventually it kind of sticks. It also gets in you so that you can embody it. And this is always just for me. I didn't do this to perform. It still feels just a little bit weird. It feels like I'm peddling something, and I'm not. Because this is how Scripture was meant to be heard, you see. We spoiled ourselves with the technology of Scripture because we, we can all just go in and read words on the page, and so we don't have to remember anything more. It's all here on a page. In fact, who does, who does this anymore? Okay, who does that anymore? Because it's all right here. And this is great. I still don't understand why people will text or email me and say, where is the passage that says? I'm amazed at that. Now, now, usually I know because I've been a fanatic about Bible reading. But the fact is, have you heard of this invention called Google? (laughs) Just Google what you think the text says, and it'll probably come up. Just get some keywords, and it'll come up. But just pretend you didn't hear that, because this is actually one of the few things people actually call me for that's actually pleasant. (laughs) I know the answer to this one. So go ahead. Go ahead. Just... Help me to help you by asking me questions you could get on your own devices. It makes me feel important. And that's very important, isn't it? Okay. Sorry. This is our text this morning. This is the one little bit I just want to take and expand a little bit. Or as it were, blow it up. And it's the text where he says, we have this treasure. Now, what is the treasure? The treasure, I mean, he just was just practically bouncing off the rafters, saying that the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's like a constant transfiguration. Whoa! Right? And what's the repository of this? Clay pots. Earthen vessels. Surely something gold or silver would be more appropriate something bejeweled. So I would like to pull out, let me see if I can do this without destroying anything or setting the sanctuary on fire. I know we sing lots of songs about Lord set us on fire. Half the time I don't think we realize, what are we singing for? I mean, really, what are we asking God to do? Because I think we sing songs about refiner's fire and then we step out of the sanctuary. Maybe we don't even have to step out of the sanctuary. And suddenly, our feet are put to the flame. And we say, God, rescue me. And it's like, well, okay, you see, you sing, burn me. And then you say, God, cool my tongue. 
and send Lazarus to come do it. Um, earthen vessels. I'm really going to try to stay tracking here. Earthen vessels. Now, this is the real trick. Pray for me at this moment. Oh, because that could have been calamitous. Okay, there we go. Earthen vessels. All right, so here we go. Earthen vessels, clay pots. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. I think we imagine that this is what we must be. It's really pretty. And it has a nice sheen of glaze. And it's painted like cowboy boots. I'm treating this one very carefully, although Luane, because this is hers, given to her by our youngest daughter, Kara. All right, Luane, I don't, I don't know, but... This is chipped, and it was already there, okay? The chip was already there. That's a frequent conversation in our house. Well, that was already there, but it was. It was already there. We imagine this is what we must be. Are you nervous for me right now that I'm going to drop this and shatter it? That would be calamitous. Um, we imagine this is what we must be. You know, we talk, and rightly so, and Brent, I, I, I love the lesson last week. Understand that what you're hearing today is part of a conversation. If you haven't heard the previous ones that have led into this one, then just take the time to listen to them. Um, I like just listening as I walk, and I, which means, Trevor, I appreciate all the time you put into the PowerPoints, but I didn't need it. I just listened to you, and I heard you. Um, and the same thing with Brent, and I, and I love the lesson, and, and the whole thing, oh gosh, the, you, you've got a tree that has all the gifts of the Spirit, and all the fruit of the Spirit, and, and that we as people keeping in step with the Spirit, are people cultivating the inner life of the fruit of the Spirit, and then increasingly, and in creative ways, and sporadically, strangely, bearing and manifesting the giftings of the Spirit. We can so easily think that this is, a, this is like a sanctification project, that we have to become pretty to be used. And that's not what Brent was talking about. And that's not what this place is about. We'd be much prettier if that's what it took. All right, so no, it really isn't this. In fact, honestly, this is almost too pretty to use, isn't it? It's just too pretty. You put pretty things on a shelf, and we become trophy disciples, right? Okay, now this, now this is just a bare clay pot that is breakable. I know it's breakable because yesterday I broke its brother. All right, I just, I dropped it from about six inches. I didn't have to go up on the roof to drop it. It just was six inches on concrete and the thing shattered into one, two, three, four, five pieces, six pieces. Oh, that's perfect because you know, one of the pieces is missing. It's on my patio someplace. To, to kind of make this work, because here's the crack pot, right? Um, to make it work, I had to tape it with duct tape. Red Green would be proud of me. <laughs> Honestly, this is the best religion can do. Right here. It's the best it can do. Let's just put duct tape on the inside and hold you together on the outside as much as we can, as long as it takes till Jesus comes, right? That's kind of what we do. I told the story this morning 
about, oh, in the devotions, if you, if you read those, I, I try to vary it up on Sundays, do something light, change the pace. And this morning was the story of the crack pot. You know, you've got the perfect pot on one side and you've got the crack pot on the other. And the crack pot was leaking all along the path and watered this, all these flowers that were intentionally planted in the pathway because the owner knew you're going to leak all over the place and that's going to water these flowers. Okay, beautiful story, like it. But I realized that's just not enough. You know, years ago, like 20 years ago, all right, I, I preached, not on this stage because it was a different stage, but you get the idea. I preached on this stage and, you know, I wasn't hired. The fact that I was eventually hired just makes it, okay, wow, that is a miracle then. Because in my exuberance, I was talking about cracked pots and how we're all cracked pots. But I didn't start off by saying we're all cracked pots. I picked on Try. He was sitting right there with Nancy. And I said, Try. You're coming to Try. Your life has fallen apart and you're going to Try because Try is going to hold you together, right? He's, and I said, Do you understand? Try is a cracked pot. I think it sounded too much like cracked pot. But I meant cracked pot. And so then you think, I'm going to go to Chad. Chad was on, you know, Trevor's brother was on staff then. And I said, but, but Chad's a cracked pot. And then there's Joe. Okay, cracked pot. All of us are cracked pots. I am a cracked pot. Every one of us is a cracked pot because he puts his treasure in earthen vessels. So don't come to us thinking we've got this for you, the shiny and the sheen. Come to that which is broken, all right? And I just did not make, I did not make Troy happy with that sermon. I didn't. I think he's grown into it more. But I really, I really didn't mean, I meant that in the best way possible. When I called you a crackpot, I meant that in the best way possible. But I realized it's not far enough. And you're thinking, okay, now this is getting dangerous. He's armed. Okay. I don't know how this is going to work. But let's see. Because the fact is, something more needs to happen here. All right, we'll just put these down here. I mean, this is, this is great. But, um, okay, so, good, good. Oh, excellent. And I have bare feet. I was thinking, oh, this is good. Yes. You know what I'm making? A mess, yes. I am making what is called in biblical culture, astraka. It's actually a word that occurs in 2 Corinthians 4, 8. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's, it's skioi astrakanoi. All right, astrakanoi. Astraka is that which has been broken. This is an astraka. It's a piece of broken pottery. And you'll think, well, this is useless. Oh, no. No, this is not is not useless. And I actually have an entry from, and, and they might put a screen up, but it doesn't matter, just eyes to me. Well, let's get this one here. Facilities, I was really trying to make sure that nothing untoward happened. I was trying to be very careful. And, you know, what's interesting is God doesn't let life break us without a bit of thought in how it's doing it. And that's somebody who's had cancer, has had two children now with cancer, has a grandchild who's 12 years old, thank God, because she was supposed to be dead three years ago. She's got terminal cancer. Um, she's not acting like it, though. 
Um, so listen carefully to what I'm saying. I don't want to trigger you in a negative way. I know something of suffering, and I know something of pain that's unresolved. My ministry is primarily among people in pain that's unresolved. They've been up here countless times. They've been in soaking prayer until their skin is pruned. And yet I have unresolved pain. What do I do with that? And they come to me. Yay. Look at my ministry. How do we find purpose in this? Astraka. Okay, Astraka. Let me read the entry about Astraka. Okay, made of clay, earthy, with the added implication of frailty. An ostracon is a piece of pottery, usually broken off from a vase or other earthenware vessel in an archaeological or epigraphical context. Um, epigraphical would be a writing context. Ostraca refer to shards or even small pieces of stone that have writing etched into them. Do you know that the oldest portions of ancient scripture, I think this is a correct statement. If it's not, okay, maybe it's close enough. I'm not trying to use deception or distort things. Some of the, let's just say some of the oldest portions of ancient scripture. Some of the, I think it's the, in fact, the, the oldest on record, yod Hey vav Hey, the tetragrammaton, we found it on a piece of pottery, a shard like this. Behold the post-it note of the biblical world. You think it was useless. Well, that's just because we have so stacks of marvelous disposable paper, which they did not have access to, right? So behold the post-it. Behold what you could use to scoop up a little coal from the fire to get it over to this one. Just enough, useful. And this one, look how I just multiplied the usefulness of this pot. It could have just housed a plant. But now the diversity of uses and the diversity of directions it can go? Whoa. Okay, I'm going to read the rest of this entry. Here it is right here. Okay, where are we? Oh, stop it. I don't need the news. Enough of that. Um, anything with a smooth surface could be used as a writing surface. Generally discarded material, ostraca were cheap. This could be a, not a job description. This could just be a personal description of us as Jesus people, Right? Cheap, readily available, and therefore frequently used. God, let me be cheap. Let me be cheap and readily available and frequently used. Okay, there we go. Make me an astraka. Frequently used for writings of an ephemeral nature. That means temporary, so just passing uses like a post-it. You don't write meaningful poetry that's meant to last for life on a post-it. Although it might end up there and Trevor will put it in his office where he can always see it. Ephemeral nature, such as messages, prescriptions, receipts, students' exercises and notes, pottery sherds, limestone flakes, and thin fragments of other stone types were used, but limestone sherds being flaky and of a lighter cover, uh, color were most common. Ostraca were typically small, covered with just a few words or a small picture drawn in ink in classical Athens when the decision at hand was to banish or exile a certain member of society, citizen peers would cast their votes on somebody who would break a pot 
And now we all write our vote. Is this person, does he stay or does he go, right? And that's what they would do. And so in it goes into an unbroken pot. They gather it out. They count the vote. If unfavorable, the person was exiled or ostracized. See, ostraca. You just got ostracized because little pieces of pottery contained your fate, which is now outside of this place because we voted you off the island. Okay, I have to get this last one here. In some cases, the shards would also be used at latrines. What do you think it was used for at latrines? <laughs> How many of you are thinking, I would love to go back to biblical times? Just take some TP with you. You won't like the choices. Now, cheap, readily available, frequently used. At least it was a reusable resource, right? It's reusable. Okay, I'm totally grossing you out at this point. Welcome to the biblical world. <laughs> Welcome to the third world. Yeah? Astraka. This is what we are. Now, do you see the basic flaw here? The basic flaw in any assumption that keeping in step with the Spirit is somehow either putting ourselves back together. Maybe we'll do this with the Japanese art of kintsugi that would do it with gold and silver. And that's a beautiful art and there's a beautiful lesson in it, but it makes it pretty, makes it usable and so forth. Or that it's ultimately this, that God wants us all to be like this. He wants us to be perfect. All imperfections gone. Dare I say almost all humanity erased, at least the parts of humanity we don't care for which would be the painful and suffering parts, right? And yet Paul says, earthen vessels. I want to finish. Ooh, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do this. I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish my drink. I'm going to finish um, with a reading. This week I read um, this book. This, I'm reading this just because I want to totally tick you off and then send you away. Okay. Um, uh, I really recommend the read. It's eye-opening, um, especially to us as we minister in the Spirit. I think this book should be required reading for anybody engaged on whatever level in whichever school of ministry anywhere. Um, we, it, it just, it's worth the read. Um, it's written by a disabled woman named Amy Kenny. The book is called My Body is Not a Prayer Request. Okay, and this is what she writes. Let it, let it do what it needs to, and, and then I, honest, I, I will be done. Okay, God told me to pray for you, she says. Her words linger like cloying perfume in a claustrophobic space. God wants to heal you. She is undoubtedly thrilled with this opportunity. I've been here before. It never ends well. This woman does not know me. There's your big clue right there. This woman does not know me. What's the first step in John Wimber's prayer model? Listen, who is this person? What's going on? She does not know me. She doesn't have the intimacy that prayer or accountability or sarcasm require. She simply interprets my cane as something that requires fixing and ropes God into her ableism, the belief that disabled people are less valuable or less human than our non-disciplined counterparts. And you may say, that's, that's kind of a jaundiced view. Well, perhaps. Internally, I make a swift calculation. 
endure the prayer or to avoid squabble or call her out on her benevolent eugenics and be branded a heretic again. People, this is like feedback from one of our potential clients, you see. I use that word because we need to see this like a clinic where people are coming to meet Jesus and to receive grace. She said, I used to play the game, eavesdropping as they prayed for my broken body, trying to conceal my spasms, lest they be confused for demonic convulsions. I thought if I could just assume a veneer of piety, maybe I can be like that pot down there. Veneer of piety. It would inoculate me against their patronizing prayers and invasive interrogations. That's not what we're doing here, people. No prayer perpetrators, no patronizing prayers, no insensitive and invasive interrogations. It's presence, people, which has brought you. Sit with people in their pain before you presume to speak to it, typically. God can do amazing things and give you random things, understand, but generally speaking, you need to sit with people in pain to see what is their pain and what is their story before you presume to speak into it. I believe that I could perfect my way out of people, deme- of people demeaning disability, that somehow my patients would endow me with enough worth in their minds to be considered fully human. All it did was put me on a carousel of dehumanization that made me feel complicit in their toxic theology. So I chose door B. I don't need prayer for healing. My body has already been sanctified and redeemed, I choked out. I know it won't be enough, but my dignity is not up for debate, particularly here in God's house. Only a second has passed, but there's a lifetime between us. Bewildered, she blocks my path, grabbing my forearm so I can't leave until I suffer her pontification because that's what she's experiencing here. You need to hear that God wants to heal you. If you stop resisting, you'd be free already. Free. All I want is to be free from her. All I need is to be liberated All I need to be liberated from is the notion that disability is inherently deviant and in need of eradication. I am the embodiment of a worst-case scenario because I don't need her to rescue me. This woman is an echo of every prayerful perpetrator before her. They have many faces, but they always approach me with her same paternalistic confidence, eager to rid me of my wheelchair or cane, or, or on repeat, they applaud the stories where Jesus healed the disabled outcast like me, without stopping to consider that curing bodies and healing lives are not the same thing. Okay, and she goes on, but I need to stop. It's worth reading. It'll be a rough ride uh, in in some places, but I found myself laughing out loud. Um, Oh, goodness, top 10 reasons why I'm disabled. These are things actually said to her over the years by Christians. Your body is a result of the fall. God needed a special angel. I thought it's just when you die. Oh, but no, we need special angels who can move among us with their disabilities. You symbolize the worst fate that could happen to any of us at any time. Wow. You've given up hope. You represent the world's decay. There's a cheery thought. You keep us grateful. You've sinned. Your parents have sinned. Adam and Eve sinned. And you just need to have a little more faith. So it's convicting, but very much appropriately so, because we need to understand we are encountering human beings with dignity. Let me, uh, three points I want to sum this up with and then let you guys go. Apologize for me taking extra long. Shouldn't have dwelt so long on my story. But um, these are the three points I want to send you away with 
And can I find them? Yes, they're right down here. Number one, I think they're on slides. Uh, if you want to put them up there, that's great. We become instigators of the now by radically embracing the edgy and cutting not yet in ourselves. Another great book by, by Henry Nouwen, 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 Wounded Healer. Anyone who heals is a wounded healer in the Jesus business. You've got wounds and you have a journey through pain because you see death is at work in us and life in you. We become instigators. I like that word instigators. We are instigators of the now by radically embracing the edgy and cutting not yet in ourselves. Let me describe, and if you need to leave, let me just do that. You can just leave. Just leave if you need to. If you need to grab kids, you can bring them in here. Maybe I'll be done, maybe I won't. Let me just describe something for you because I've got neuropathy as nerve damage from 12 rounds of chemo in 2012, over six months. They didn't tell me it was gonna get worse as I went. I think they said it would probably fade. They just tried to paint a rosy picture. Let me tell you what I experience at times, and it just comes and then it goes. I'm not sharing this so that you can pray upon me afterwards, really. But go ahead if you want. But actually, just praying behind my back is good enough. Jesus heals people without having to be in the room. But let me just describe this. When it's like, boom, just bubbling up and surfacing. I realized this the other night after an evening of dance. I was going home, and I felt it was like heart bands around my wrists. It was like a hard band pressing around my brain right here. And my feet, this foot in particular, they felt like a spike was being driven through the center of it and that strong hands were then pulling my foot, bending it around the spike. I almost had to stop driving when it got to that intensity. And you know what suddenly hit me? Wrists, feet. I say, God, you're letting me experience on some level the marks of Jesus. Death is at work in me, so life can be at work in others. And so therefore, glory in my weaknesses. Now, if Jesus appeared in an upper room showing his wounds, and we jumped up and prayed that the wounds would go away, what do you think Jesus would do? You say, stop that. This is how they're drawn to me. The disabled God, the wounded Savior. That's how they're drawn to me. Watch it happen right now with Thomas, who needs to be able and see, yes, I see the wounds. And through the wounds come faith. So death is at work in us, life in you. And so, so... We become instigators of the now by radically embracing the edgy and cutting not yet in ourselves. We are potsherds. We are potsherds here to bring healing, not to human imperfections, but to help remove what hinders human flourishing. Disability doesn't necessarily hinder human flourishing. Ask them, find out. Find out what their needs are. Jesus always said, what can I do for you? He didn't assume. And wounded healers lean into a healing mindset and not a curing or fixing mindset. You are not a human problem that I get to fix. You are a child of God with dignity whom God wants to flourish. And how can I help that happen today? How can I give you that dignity today? 
How can I see life working in you through me? And honestly, it might just be because I'm a broken piece of pottery and I've got one word that they need to hear. Not a whole book. Oh, yeah, this guy can really sound impressive up there. But, you know, for most of us, it's just one word on a post-it is what they need in the moment. That's keeping in step with the Spirit. So stop fighting. You hear what I'm saying? Stop fighting your brokenness. Ask what it's there for. It might be that God wants to redeem you and deliver you from that. Great. I'm not a masochist. I'm not wearing shoes because shoes are just hurting my feet too much today. I'm, but I'm flourishing today, people. So I would say direct those energies to somebody who's not flourishing and is bent down in pain without hope. I would say, go there. Find that person and sit with them for a while. Oh, and that's the other use, by the way. Sometimes you don't need to say a word. You just need to be available to scrape the boils. Oh, some relief. Thank you. And it's when the three friends stop being the means of some relief that required no words and had to speak a sermon instead. They said, Job, if you were more like this, none of this would be happening to you. Okay. Sorry. Oh, that was close. <laughs> sorry. I know you're not, I think you're not supposed to apologize to your audience, but goodness, I am sorry. I've lingered far too long. So it'll probably be a while before I'm up here again. But God bless you all. Let's just stand. Let me just pray over you. All of you potsherds, Oh, dear God, I'm not sure exactly, God, what I need to say, but I know it needs to be brief because I've already gone far too long. And I know I don't say, God, come and break us because, oh, that's in the mix. Just where we live, that's in the mix. The brokenness will come. The shattering comes. Deliver us from the notion, Lord, that you're primarily about making us inoculated against the shattering of life. You told us to take up a cross, which is the ultimate shattering, humiliating experience. We tend to forget that, God, and we think that this is a product. We think that, that this is insurance, that this is an investment program, and we expect you to come and bail us out, God. We are your servants. We are slaves, Lord. So teach us to lean into the edginess and the cutting of the not yet in us that we might become instigators of the now. That whatever pains and experiences we've experienced will make us more human with others who desperately need someone to be human with them, to see them, to hear them, and to be perhaps nothing more than a piece of broken pottery that can bring relief to, to that boil, to that itchy spot. Remind us, Lord, that he who saves one life saves the world entire. So let us be cheap and readily available and frequently used pieces of shards, potsherds to be taken and used by you to be your post-it to be, your, to be your touch of relief. 
Let that define for us what it means to be keeping in step with the Spirit. Bearing one another's burdens, for in this way we fulfill the law of Christ. Yes, Lord, lead us into that. And come do this afresh in each of us this morning. We ask in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. And now, my fellow potsherds, go make the invisible God visible. Yeah? God bless you all. Thank you for your patience this morning. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.